This is the Florida Spectacular Podcast with your hosts, Kathy Silustri and Rick Kilby. Keep up with Kathy at GreatFloridaRoadTrip.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Kathy Silustri. Find Rick on Twitter at OldFLA and visit his website, RickKilby.com. Now, discover a Florida you never knew existed. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Florida Spectacular. I am Kathy, one of your hosts, joined by the indubitable Rick Kilby. Good afternoon. Actually, good evening, Rick. Yes, we're recording at a time that is different for us. We usually record in the morning, so we're recording in the evening, which is a little bit different because we've both been doing a lot of traveling. So it's going to be a different vibe today, I think. Well, it's definitely not as caffeinated. I have I have my wind down cup of tea. Um, usually, when I'm talking on the podcast in the morning, I'm on cup one or two of the coffee, and uh, this feels weird. That's okay. Weird is good. I'm not all about the weird state, but the weird vibe for right now is good. Um, so, what do you want to talk about today? Well, I, like I think you I think you about it. I think you did a good segue because we you said the weird state. You're not all about the weird state. So we talked about the weird side of Florida man last week. And gave some people that, you know, throughout Florida history have would have been Florida men had they lived in contemporary times. So now I think we should go back and look at Florida men who do Florida proud. You know, the good guys who perhaps aren't as well known and wouldn't get headlines today, but they did yeoman's work in making Florida a better place to live. So you could you could say we're taking back Florida man. I think that's perfect. We are taking we're back flipping, Florida man. We're, we're, we're taking back Florida man. We are flipping the script. We are making Florida man great again. Well, maybe not that, but we're we're doing good things. We're doing we're doing God's work in here today. So I feel pretty good about it. Um, who's your favorite Florida man? Or I guess is maybe not your favorite. Who's the Florida man who comes to mind first when you think of good Florida man? Well, I wanted to start with Bob Graham because we talked about Florida governors that, you know, we talked about Sidney Katz and who was the one you talked about? Was it Claude Kirk? Yeah, like crazy mother. Yeah. So I want to talk about Bob Graham because I actually, Bob Graham is something, actually someone who I voted for. I'm not sure if I, I'm sure I voted for him for governor, I think, but he was governor when I was you know, in high school and maybe a little bit in college, but then he went on to the U.S. Senate. And so you had the theory that most of the weird Florida man, men came from other places. Well, Bob Graham is a native Floridian. He grew up, he was born in Coral Gables, went to Harvard Law School, and then served in both houses of the Florida legislature before uh, serving, I guess, two terms as governor. And then he became a U.S. senator and he defeated Paula Hawkins, who was the incumbent at the time and someone I really didn't like and which was like, yay. And he was he's a Democrat. He's probably, gosh, you know, he's kind of a vestige from the era when Florida was a Democratic state. And he kind of he kind of bridged that that, you know, that gamut where we went from being Democratic to Republican. And he kind of outlasted. You know, the whole the, the political persuasion of the state. But he did so much good stuff. He was an environmentalist. You know, when he was governor, he worked on making the university system better. He worked on, you know, changing things in the environment. When he was in the Senate, 
he was he was involved with um, terrorism, and he used that expertise and became a fiction writer later in life. He has a well-known daughter. His daughter ran for governor a few years ago, but did not win. I wish she had. Yeah, and he's still with us today. You know, so I've seen him speak. He's very much involved with environmental issues. I, you know, it's just a statesman. You know, the type of statesman we don't see anymore. No, exactly. When he left office, he had an 83 approval rating. That's unheard of. So could you name something specific? Um, Something something that makes this Florida man great. Let me think. Well, one of the things that – so one of the other governors I remember from my past was Walken Lawton because he walked all the way. And, I was going to do Walken Lawton. No, you can. Okay. You can. I love be- him. Be- but something that, that Bob Graham did that is similar was he did these work days. And he did 400 yes. work days. And he spent eight-hour days doing jobs that not everybody wanted to so he could see through their eyes. So it was a bellhop, a tomato picker, a road construction paver, things like that. Can you see some of the politicians today doing something like that? You know, they'll go up to show up for a photo op, wear their white boots, and then you never see them again. He, I could he see would, I could see somebody in the panhandle like Matt Gates maybe working at a middle school teaching, you know, girls gym. Is that the same thing? <laughs> no. No, not the same thing. Not <laughs> okay. the same thing. But I remember when he did that, you know, he would get there would be a news story. He, you know, you'd say, you know, he's flipping burgers at the Burger King. And it's like, you know, in some ways. It's kind of like what Sidney Katz did, where he drive his new car to little towns to get publicity. But in but in other ways, but in other ways, draw those lines. But okay, you know, it kind of removed him. You know, I think he went to an Ivy League school. He went to Harvard. Yeah, he went to Harvard. Well, he went first of all. He went to UF, and then he went to Harvard. Two excellent schools. So this gave him the opportunity to see. The world from you know a working man or working woman's point of view. So I, well, that's I, one of I, my favorite things about him. I think that's super important. How many times do we hear that so and so doesn't know how much a gallon of milk costs? Yeah, exactly. It's um, you know, one of the things I had a friend say to me because I, I always make the case that I, you know, I am fantastically liberal and just way hard left. But I have a lot of respect for people, especially people in the middle of the state, people, working class people who are hard right. And one of my friends says, well, that's open minded. I don't even want to know those people. I said, no, you don't want to know the rich people who are voting to protect their own interests. But if you travel around Florida enough and meet people, you will understand that there are people who are voting very conservatively because they have a real fear that's maybe not based in fiction. You know, it's being exploited right now. So I think the more you see of different cross sections of society, the more empathy it gives you. And I think that that's an incredible thing for a leader to have. Yeah. You know, it, it's, um, it's a very different set of problems and, and it lets you govern more effectively. Um, and we are going to link to the, the Florida memory project. That's going to have some photos from his work days. That'll be in the show notes. So I oh, think that's cool. a really yeah, it's a great way to people get to know it. Um, but you you mentioned somebody and that Lawton Childs. Yes. Um, I am a huge Lawton Childs fan. 
I believe he might have been the first governor I could have voted for. So there you go. And um, I, you, you, the biggest thing he did, this guy started as an absolute unknown. He had, I love this story. He had no chance, none, none in the polls. He should not have made it to, he didn't start out as governor, but he should not have made it to his first elected office. I mean, it's, it's an incredible story. And he, um, it's just really um, inspiring. So everybody knows Lawton Childs as the um, governor, but how he started out was not as governor. He was obviously running for a, um, a different office, a lower office. And as one did, he basically had no chance. Nobody thought he was going to get elected. Um, he, uh, he was um, first elected the House of Representatives in 1958. And he only left the House when he ran for the Florida State Senate some eight years later. Um, so he won his little House seat. But to get into the Senate, he was an outsider. Like he, yeah, he might have been in the House, but how many House of Representatives are there, right, in the state? A lot. Yeah. He, you yeah. knew who he was if you were in Lakeland, but that was it. So he decided to take a walk. That's, that's the simplest way to put it. He took a thousand, mi- thousand mile walk through Florida. Uh, he started up in Century, which is in like the um, northwest corner of the state panhandle. And he walked, I think it's 1,033 miles. And he would stop at like little diners, cafes. He would shake hands with farmers. He would meet the school teachers. Uh, he, um, from a public relations standpoint, right, this is sheer genius uh, because cameras would follow him. By the end of this, cameras were, where's Lawton on the trail? Uh, but said that, um, he had met, he certainly met people along the walk, but when he walked alone, he said the walk would allow him to experience Florida's natural beauty and the problems of everyday Floridians through fresh eyes. So um, before his walk, his name recognition was about 5% and he ended up winning the election. So clearly he did it. Um, reporters talked about him. He was like the Huck Finn guy. It was the Huck Finn campaign. Um his ad said, uh, what did they say? You, you vote for yourself. Uh, Childs walked our streets and highways to hear what you have to say. That's why a vote for Childs is like a vote for yourself. Um, so it was a stark contrast because at the same time, Childs is dressed in his little button down shirt and like his khakis walking in these little small towns. Uh, William Kramer, who was a St. Pete guy, who was opponent. He was having, you know, black tie dinners and the Childs campaign loved to make the, the differentiation that, you know, Lon Childs is having fried chicken and picnics with you. And this guy's having hundred dollar a plate dinners. And, um, you know, he was, uh, uh, Vox Populi. That was, that was his, his claim to fame. Uh, he spent 18 years in the Senate and then he ran for governor. And, uh, when he was governor, I think, uh, some of the things he did. We take for granted now. He created the Department of Elder Affairs. Uh, he created the Healthy Start program for kids. Um, so he was looking out for people over 60 as well as little kids. Um, 
he did it to um, the healthy start was actually developed because we, we had an infant mortality problem and what they would call poor developmental outcomes. And so he created healthy start in 1991 and our infant mortality rate has dropped by almost 20% since that time. Um, And then I'll talk about him forever. So you're going to have to stop me. But the, the, the best thing he did is he stopped the cross Florida barge canal. He was the death knell. And um, he it was a New Deal project slated for Florida that was going to cut a canal. I know you know this, Rick. Our listeners might not. The canal was supposed to go from Jacksonville at the St. John's River down to Crystal River. It was going to cut a canal straight across. Um, and it would have made everything south of it an island, essentially. Um, we had cleared a whole bunch of land. Um, the only thing that stopped the canal the first time was the U.S. Congress because they were not necessarily concerned for the environment or Florida because nobody cared about Florida, uh, but because they were trying to slap FDR's hands for government overreach with his New Deal programs. But um, in 1942, Congress authorized resuming work on the canal because we had to protect American shipping from Nazi submarines. Um, that of course didn't finish the canal. JFK revived it in the sixties and the army Corps of engineers initially said, well, this is impractical. It's not going to make economic sense, but then they fixed it so that it would make economic sense, uh, because it said the land enhancement value alongside the canal makes it worth it. Um, Lyndon Johnson actually set off the first dynamite for the canal. Um, but, um, Lawton Childs officially deauthorized it in 1991. And that was actually, I love this, 170 years after Andrew Jackson, who was the other kind of Florida man, proposed it. So Childs right there, I just thought was incredible. Um, He died in the middle of Bill Clinton's impeachment hearings. And uh, the House Judiciary Committee actually stopped the hearings to reflect on his life and his contributions to Florida. So, I mean, that's. So, so to be clear, he wasn't involved with the hearings that was going on. No, they stopped the hearings uh, when they heard he died. Okay. Reflected. Okay. Yeah. No, it's, he it sounded for a minute. Like he just croaked right in the middle of testimony. <laughs> I think he was just disgusted. Um, he, one final thing, he never accepted a political donation for more than a hundred dollars. He has not, he never lost a single election and he was not, he was our last Democrat governor. We have, you know, he, since. he was a populist, you know, you know, he was a man of the people and are the signs still up for the, the, his walking mm-hmm. trail. You see him around the state yeah. sometime and, and they have his two old shoes. Cause he had these, these boots yep. that were just horrible. I, I remember him well. And it, you know, to me, that's another person who's kind of a bridge between old Florida and modern Florida. You know, he was very yeah. much, he could, the thing that he called himself was a he coon. Have you heard that? Yes. Yeah, yes. Like a, so he was great. Yeah. So, so are you, are, are you done talking about him? Cause I have a, a good segue. But before we do, I just want to point out his son, a restaurant called the sandbar in Anaria Island. And I believe they are super into sustainable seafood. So clearly this was a little bit more than just the um, lip service. You know, it's mushing through the generations, but please segue. Well, I love the sandbar. I, you know, it's one of those places where, you know, every, they wa- wait for the sun to, to 
go uh, below the horizon and everybody cheers the minute it disappears. It's wonderful. I had no idea of that connection. So somebody else. So we should do a whole show about the cross Florida barge canal. Maybe we can have Stephen Knoll or he wrote a book for um, University Press of Florida about it. Or I know a lot of other people because it's something I'm a kind of that um, project meant a lot to me because it, you know, it, it's ruined the Oklahoma River, which was a place that was very sacred to me in my childhood. So I would love to do a whole nother show. But somebody else on a national level who was involved in stopping that project was Nate Reed or Nat Reed, they call him. Yes. Nathaniel Nat Reed, who is from an environmental perspective, a true Florida hero. Now, he did not. He was not born in Florida. He was born somewhere, I think, Connecticut. And he had or New York City. He was born in New York City, but he grew up in Connecticut and in Florida, you know, he had super wealthy parents, but he was one of those things you just don't have anymore. He was a Republican who was an environmentalist. And he, you know, he was like the whole Teddy Roosevelt thing that you have to conserve the environment or you won't have anything to live on. And he did so many great things. He, you know, he was in the service, um, in the Air Force. He eventually moved to Florida full time and, and got involved. And he, he worked for all these governors. He worked for Ferris Bryant. He worked for Claude Kirk. He worked for Ruben Askew. And then he went to work in the Nixon administration. And he's credited with um, the Clean Water Act, um, stopping the Everglades jet port, jet port, you know, the cross Florida barge canal, ending the use of DDT. Um, and he co-wrote the Endangered Species Act of 1973. He His resume of environmental accomplishments is far too long to read in our podcast. And Absolutely. I didn't really learn about him until I got involved with Springs Advocacy. And then somebody's like, you've heard of Nate Reed, haven't you? And it's like, no, no. And he, he's he was he's a rock star. He died in 2018. Tragically, he, he slipped on a rock while he was fishing and busted his head. Um, you know, isn't that better than lying in a nursing home, though? I think it's the way, you know, as somebody who loved the outdoors, it seems like the perfect way to go. I am I am fully convinced that when I die, it is going to be because of my fascination with sharks. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm okay with it. I'm the one person in the water, like, look, a shark. I'm like, let's go see it. <laughs> so I get it. I get it. No, I mean, I have a talk I give. I have uh, their uh, partner talks that I give great Republicans of Florida and great Democrats of Florida. Um, and I have a lot of fun with that. But he is in my great Republicans of Florida talk, definitely, because I mean, that's just uh, like you say, you talk about a Teddy Roosevelt Republican, which our current yeah. governor said he was going to be. And I'm not so sure. But I think, you know, Nat Reed, definitely incredible, incredible legacy. Have you read it? He has a book and I, I was thinking, so actually the first two people I've talked to have both written books, you know, Bob Graham wrote fiction. He even wrote a child's book, a kid's book, but Nat Reed kind of um, did an autobiography. I, I would love to read it because he had such a fascinating life and it's I have it, no idea what it is. Um, I'll have to. We're going to have to find it and put in the show notes if neither of us can. Yeah. But, you know, it's, you know, he, he really was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, but he loved, you know, the environment and he gave everything to preserving it. And he also preserved, um, you know, it was uh, on the historic preservation front. He did a lot of good stuff there, too. Um, just a, a real rock star in, in Florida history and somebody who, you know, I 
you know, I pretty much lived and breathed old Florida for a long time and I didn't know about until relatively recently. Um, yeah, he, um, for whatever reason, I didn't learn about him in grad school, but it's, um, it's odd the people who, who, if they're not governor or elected, who do these fantastical things and you don't, you don't hear about them. But um, we should probably do a whole podcast on Nat Reed on some point. But I mean, okay. he's, he's incredible. Um, do you have somebody else? Yeah, another environmentalist. But this is going way back in time. So I'm going to go back even farther. So don't worry. So, you know, 1930s, uh, you know, Bob Graham and Nat Reed were probably contemporaries. You know, that's a little bit older than my father. Um but the one I want to talk about next was born in 1870. So you're talking five years after the Civil War. And his name was Guy Bradley. And I learned about Guy Bradley. I was, I think I had heard of him before, but I was down in Punta Gorda or Punta Gorda, however you say it. Uh, and I and there was a historical marker talking about his death. And he was someone, again, Florida man born outside of Florida in Chicago and his family when he was a child moved down to Florida and his dad did a lot of different things. His dad was actually a barefoot mailman for a while, which is super cool. And he actually worked as a guide in South Florida for plume hunters. And that's again, a whole other topic about when it was the, the ray, all the rage for Victorian ladies to wear these, big hats with these giant feathers, you know, the breeding plumage of wading birds, mostly egrets and herons and things like that, that, you know, at one point they, by weight, they were worth more than gold. And so Florida, you know, of course, in the Everglades, there's these birds everywhere and they, they come to roost every spring and have rookeries and you could basically just pick them up. It's like shooting fish in the barrel. And that's what happened. And he started as a guide for the plume hunters and then eventually shifted to the other side when it became illegal and became a, ga- a game warden. And one of the first, I think there were three and his whole area was, you know, basically, you know, from 10,000 islands to the keys. He had to patrol all that area and he was very unpopular because he was taking away, taking away livelihood from people who were plume hunters. And eventually they, um, they shot him. Um, what, what I'm listening, go on. Yeah. They shot him. Um, they would follow him. So they would watch him and they would follow him and, and he would unwittingly lead them to the rookeries. And he knew that something was up, but eventually they, they waited for him and ambushed him and shot him. And there were two others that were killed down in Florida as well. Um, Again, a whole podcast could be done about um, bird sanctuaries, and we talked about birds a couple of weeks ago, but I think Pelican Island was the first Audubon bird sanctuary. Um, I think Teddy Roosevelt established that, Um, but he became – Guy Bradley became kind of a legend. Uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas wrote a book called – or a short story called Plumes that was roughly based on Guy Bradley, and then there was a film called Wind Across the Everglades. Um, that was loosely based about on Guy Bradley. So he's another rock star and he, you know, he gave his life to the cause and he believed in it. And it's so interesting that he would go, you know, from somebody who would show people around and where to find the, the best birds to somebody who cared enough to try and preserve them. It's, um, 
you know, a lot of our decisions are not made of malice. A lot of times they're made of ignorance. And when we're shown that what we did wasn't so great, you know, good people can reevaluate or I guess enlightened people or whatever you want to call it uh, can evaluate and go, okay, well, I, I guess I shouldn't do that anymore. And how do I fix it? And so that's it's what he did. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to think, you know, he was 35 when he was killed um, that maybe he grew to love the place and he grew to love the birds that he once helped to almost eradicate. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I think all three of the people that I brought up did a lot for um, Florida wilderness and the Florida fauna here. And I think they, they all loved it and thought, saw it worthy of uh, preservation. Um, definitely. I mean, that's, that's a recurring theme with some of the earliest people in Florida. Other, it's like we have a, this bifurcated uh, thing running through Florida. We've got one tongue where it's development, let's make paradise for everybody. And the other one is let's protect paradise for everybody. And it's kind of a interesting two-headed beast we have going on, I think. Um, my Florida man goes back to um, the Seminole War. So his name was Abiyaka. Um, white men called him Sam Jones. Have you ever heard of either of those? Sam Jones rings a bell, the, his uh, Native American name. Can you say that again? Abiyaka. No, I had not A-B-I-A-K. heard that. A-K-A. So um, he was um, a respected person in the tribe. And um, white men, soldiers, called him Sam Jones or also the devil. Um, because so you picture the U S military in the middle of the 19th century, early to mid 19th century. And they're in South Florida in their nice little wool uniforms, super smart. And they are trying to figure out how they can capture and either kill or relocate all these Indians. And it was, you know, the tactics the U S government used were not kind. Um, they would they would capture the children and the women so that the men would come out and then they would get everybody proceed to uh, best case scenario I guess marching along the trail of tears. There's a lot of ambiguity there. There were bounties on their heads, but you know, obviously they would show up and they would set up camp. And um, Sam Jones Abiaka, he was I believe a medicine man. And he became something of a strategist and a leader. He opposed removal. He, he was very against the Trail of Tears, right? Hard to believe. Um, and according to the Seminole Tribe of Florida, when American leaders talked about forcing the Seminole to leave the state uh, or to leave Florida, the words Sam Jones and his group will never agree to leave was constantly repeated. So during the war, the government would try and negotiate with the Seminole or the people we would later come to know as Seminole. And Jones would never show up at those negotiations. He would send uh, lieutenants like uh, Koakuchi, who's Wildcat, Osceola, who everybody seems to know, they would go. But um, somehow, whatever strategy the military made, 
it seemed that the Indians were ahead of them and expected it and were prepared for it, and they just couldn't defeat them. So what Abiyaka was doing, and I, I just laugh at this for a couple of reasons, is you know, none of these soldiers had ever seen him, or at least they didn't realize they had seen him. While he was sending Osceola and Koakuchi to the negotiations, he would wander through the military camps selling fish. And you know, the soldiers would buy the fish to, to feed the troops. But they were so positive that this ignorant, I'm sure, what they thought was an ignorant Indian couldn't understand anything. The chuckleheads would just talk about their military strategy <laughs> right in front of him. So you know, he'd sell the fish, get his money. He'd go back be like, all right, this is how it's going to shake down. Let's get ready for it. Um, and I think that is, it, it's brilliant because it exploits the worst thing about, sadly, a lot of Americans. And then that is, if you don't speak our language, you must be ignorant. And if you look different, you must not speak our language. Or if you have an accent, they just assumed he didn't understand because he didn't look like them and he didn't talk like them. Um, when the war was over, he led the last of the Seminole remaining in Florida deep into the Everglades. Um, and the tribe is pretty clear that they survived today because of him. Hmm. So I like that story. Um, I think that it's, uh, it's a good Florida man story. I think of him as like Florida man saves his, his people. So I like that. And I like to talk about that when we talk about good Florida men. Yeah, I think that's a great one. Well, I mean, not if you're the U.S. government. I'm sure the military has a different ver version of this story, as they so often do. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot to being a good model for Floridians, right? It's well, well, so much negative out there. Yeah, I was looking at the Wikipedia page, and it has this the last entry statues, memorials, and place names. And so there's a if there's a bunch of statues um, in his honor. I, it sounds like they're all in South Florida, but yeah. also I guess it must have been NASA uh, named a rock outcropping on Mars Seminole, and there's two targets, whatever that means, and one is called Osceola, and one is Abiyaka. So how cool is that? There's a place on Mars named after him. That's incredible. <laughs> That's cool. It's very That's, woke. <laughs> it is very woke, unless their targets is and they want to shoot them. But uh, if you drive onto, um, if you drive onto tribal land down near the headquarters where Atatiki is, you're going to drive down Sam Jones. And if you don't know, the first time I did, I'm like, "That's a weird ass white name for." something in the middle of an Indian reservation. Um, but they have a statue there of him um, and he's pointing and showing uh, basically it's like, he's taking the women and children and showing them go this way, get away from the people. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's so. very cool. And it, it also says his wife was half Choctaw, half Irish. And they had one child named Rebecca Jones, which does not sound I, I imagine she probably had a name in their native tongue as well but we so call her rebecca it depends on who's writing what yeah right it's it's um definitely easier for white people forgive me your own it's easier if 
we don't have to remember strange sounds. And when a name sounds strange, we have this tendency, oh, well, we're just going to call you Betty. I mean, we yeah. watched this going through Ellis Island. How many people had their names changed, right? Um, I try and use the real names of people because they were given that name. And a uh, long time ago, I went down to, the first time I went down to the, the Atatiki, the Seminole Tribe of Florida's headquarters, to do research and I was talking to who was then the director of research. He was just this delightful British man. And I very sincerely said, so can you explain to me the difference between the Seminole and what we used to call the Calusa and the Appalachie? And, and he just looked at me, he goes, those are just names that y'all gave the tribe. He didn't say y'all, British people don't say y'all. But uh, he basically said, uh, he, exactly. Those are names that European Americans gave them. It means absolutely nothing to the tribe. And, you know, it, it was like scales falling away. I'm like, okay, so there are really two different versions of history. Um, and, you know, so it's Sam Jones or Abiyaka, but they call him Sam Jones, I think, I, I'm guessing, but I assume the reason that they have Sam Jones and they still refer to him as such and in so much as that on all their branding, they will put both names for a lot, but because he was so famous for the Sam Jones was the devil. I think that's something to be proud of that. They, you know, it's a very small group of people at this point, the Seminole tribe, what would become the Seminole tribe of Florida, a very small group of people. And you have the full weight and confidence of the U S military fighting them. And this one guy selling fish manages to thwart them. I mean, yeah, I, I'd be proud that they called him the devil, too. I mean, that's, yeah, call me it's, whatever you want. You know, I hear stories like this, and I think, wow, wouldn't that be a great movie, you know? And uh, it's a fascinating story. The other thing that's interesting is, like, you know, Osceola, wasn't his name also Billy Powell? And, you know, we know know him as Osceola, but I think it's, um, you know, his non-native name was Billy Powell, if I remember correctly i you know that's an area that fasc fascinates me and akatiki is definitely on my list maybe now that i have a retired wife i can head there when it um is a bit cooler and less mosquito-y uh yeah so i want to learn more i'm fascinated by it it's it's an incredible um really incredible organization and i will say again that it's one of the best things the casinos has done other than clean water and public education that's more than respectable for people who live on the reservation is uh the money they've been able to put into preserving their history and protecting it i mean i i'm and they're super patient from a history standpoint i have a chapter in florida spectacular that'll be out in september of next year 2024 and there's a chapter on uh, a woman we call Polly Parker and their historians were ridiculously patient with me in getting it absolutely correct and I mean it's there's a real dedication there to to, to setting history right and I really I respect that so well exciting anyway. stuff and a little yeah. uh, preview of your book yeah so we we settled on um, we settled on the official title for the book. Finally, that was a little bit of a back and forth um, because there was some concerns about maybe if we called it the Florida spectacular, people would think it was like an event listing or something. 
And um, we finally landed on Florida Spectacular, Extraordinary Places and Exceptional Lives. And I am very excited about that. So, because I think that's, that's, yes, that, then that's what the podcast is about. So, uh, it's all coming together. My evil plan of sharing the good parts (laughs) of Florida with the world. Well, I I love the idea in the future. Perhaps we do, uh, unsung Florida women. And I don't think we need to do the, you know, the, the ones who you know go naked with an alligator into a Seven Eleven with a machete. I think we can just Craig skip has over po- that. Craig has a Craig has a podcast for that. It'll yeah. be fine. We'll Listeners, skip that. If you if you want the naked lady with the machete riding an alligator, <laughs> it's called Welcome to Florida. Craig Pittman <laughs> and Chad Scott are incredible hosts. They are. We're going to talk about the other type of Florida woman. And I, but I think we'll get. We should get back to that after we do some spooky shows because it is. October and there's there's stuff we've been saving like creature from the black lagoon and all those things. We talk about creature. I got to talk about creature. I'm yeah, so excited. let's do that next week. And uh, you know, I have I have a friend who worked on the Blair Witch Project and I was doing a little writing a social media post about that, which uh, you know is a more modern project but has roots in Orlando. Oh, it does. It does. And one of the guys who worked on it was my um was one of my film professors out at UCF. And I remember him highly criticizing Jurassic Park. And then I went to see that piece and I was like, okay, I take your criticism with a grain of salt now, buddy, years later. <laughs> uh, Wasn't that Steven Spielberg? Didn't he do Jurassic Park? <laughs> yeah, but this film professor did not care for it. It was not uh, believable. Well, so, hey, everybody, you know, teaches on. Call me crazy. I don't feel like a film about dinosaurs coming into the 20th century is supposed to be believable, but maybe I've got this weird <laughs> idea of, of what's real. Um, well, you know, with the the advancements in um, gene, what do you call it? Um, DNA oh, with DNA? the genome and all that kind of stuff. It's not as far fetched as it once was. Um, genetics, it, genetics. So. This is not the decade for it. We didn't go in on a strong note. No. So. Well, so talk about Halloween. Yeah, look, I even have my nails done for Halloween. I'm so <laughs> oh, excited. Oh, look at you. Look at you. I know nobody else can see it, but they're black and orange with glitter. It's super great. <laughs> well, there are some unsung Florida men in the story of the creature from the Black Lagoon, like Rico Browning, who's one of my favorite per- people to talk about. And I, so I, I look forward to doing that. And we maybe we talk about some of the, we've talked about some film. What's the one? Is it a thousand maniacs or ten thousand maniacs? What is it? The it's one two thousand maniacs. Two thousand maniacs. I have a bad, hard time with numbers. So I want to know that one's confusing. And I'm actually giving a talk in Gulfport. I'm giving my B movie talk in Gulfport on the third Friday of October, and then I'm doing it again at Eckerd College at Ollie on Halloween. And that is one of my favorite talks of the year to give is to B movies of Florida, and we go through. All those horrible movies. But yes, Creature is in there. I could give a whole talk on Creature. I, I I have and will convincingly make the argument next week that Creature from the Black Lagoon and Disney's The Little Mermaid are exactly the same film. And we can talk about that next time. Interesting. Well, what about Hans Christian Andersen? How does he get in there? Or maybe no, he no. came first. It makes it even, it's, he's even more Creature from the Black Lagoon than the disney version all right i'm gonna have to study you're gonna have to study. we're gonna go into it next week i know everybody's waiting happy happy spooky season 
and uh, go out there, make Florida great. And we'll see you next time on the Florida Spectacular. Woohoo!